Thanks, guys. As uh, Jeff mentioned earlier, uh, it is our open house uh, today for our children's ministry, and so families with kids and those that are involved in our children's ministry are all downstairs uh, beneath in the uh, lower sanctuary, and parents are getting uh, an introduction to our children's ministry and, and how we uh, seek to equip them and help them to disciple their kids and the next generation, so we want to be mindful of them. But it's a great time for you and I up here to talk about uh, Jesus' love for children. We're looking at uh, how we live lives of love like Jesus, and we're doing that by looking at examples from the Gospels of how Jesus lived a life of love. We're to imitate him, so we're, let's look at his example, and as we're digging in and looking hard at that, uh, I hope that you're finding that to be both revealing and, and also inspiring, and maybe even a bit challenging, um, to want to model your life more and more after Jesus. Um, and certainly what he had to say about children is worth us listening to and, uh, and pondering today. So we're going to take our time today to talk about that and look at how Jesus loved children and ask ourselves, how do we then imitate him in showing love for children as well? So there are a number of passages that we're going to read, and I'm just going to invite you to just kind of listen um, as we look at, at uh, a few passages of Scripture. They're well known to you, but I pray you know, that the Holy Spirit will open your ears and your eyes and your hearts to hear them in an interesting way because there's some, some really neat stuff in here that we may or may not have thought about in the past. Let's pray, and then we're going to begin in Matthew. Father, as we open your word, um, we come before you and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that as we read these passages from, uh, that tell us the stories of Jesus, that uh, you, Holy Spirit, would cause them to, to burn within us and live within us. Would you cause these words to come to life in our hearing as only you can? Um, we're grateful that we have these accounts of Jesus' life that we can look at and, and learn from, but we know that it's you, Holy Spirit, that really translates these from words on a page into words that we hear in our heart and in our souls. And so we invite you to do that as we present ourselves before you and before your word um, and just ask for that ministry of the Spirit uh, to be uh, taking place. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to read first from Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to, and said, uh, He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now Mark, in his version, says this. And see if you kind of pick up some of the things that get added to this as each gospel uh, writer tells this story uh, uniquely. So this is now in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. 
He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And then in Luke's version, in Luke chapter 9, verses 46 and 48. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you, he is the greatest. So each gospel writer tells the story a little bit differently, but did you pick up the different nuances uh, and the things that were kind of in the story. Clearly, the disciples had been arguing. The context is, is they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. And Jesus looked, took this opportunity to use a little child kind of as an object lesson. Um, and uh, he mentioned to them, you know, that they needed to, to have an attitude of service, that they needed to have an attitude of humility. And he brought this little child in front of them. And, and he said, if you welcome this child, you welcome me. And you don't just welcome me, you welcome the one who sent me. Have we ever thought about what that is saying? About what that means? We're going to unpack that today and talk a little bit about that. But what I want to do is, first of all, just really kind of unpack this word, welcome. It's one of those wonderful words in the original language that has a whole variety of meanings. It can mean all different kinds of things, all nuanced, and they're on the screen behind me. It gets translated welcome, but sometimes what, so, what happens is in the English language, you know, we kind of learn that. And we think, okay, so yeah, we, we welcome children, I welcome children, I'm open to children, I'm, I'm okay with children being here and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but there's a lot more packed into this, and I want to take a few minutes to, to, to have us kind of think about it. To welcome can mean to take by the hand, to grant access to and not to refuse, to receive into one's family, to approve and not to reject, to embrace, to sustain, and to learn from. So all of those are different nuances of the Greek word that's translated welcome in our English Bibles. So when Jesus is saying, is he saying whoever welcomes, when he says that, I want you to think of this broader definition. When we think that we are, are welcoming of children, can we say that in, in the widest possible sense of what, that, of what that word could possibly mean, of what Jesus could possibly have meant, can we say that that's true of us as a congregation? That we take children in our midst by the hand. That we grant them access and not refuse them access. That we receive into our very own family. That we approve and that we don't reject that we embrace, that we sustain, and that we can even learn from. That's what Jesus is saying. And there's two things that I want to point out here. First of all, he says he, br he brings a little child. Remember the disciples, they're, they're doing what, what, what we all do, right? They're arguing over, over who's right and who's the great, who's, who's kind of taking the lead here in terms of the Jesus movement. That's what they're arguing about, Right? And Jesus says, and he brings this little child, and he stands this little child. One, Mark says he brings him up, and he puts him in his arms. Takes him up in his arms. And he takes this little child, and he says, whoever welcomes this little child welcomes me, and not just me, but the one who sent me. He welcomes me, 
and the one who sent me. Now, if you're like me, so many times we read that and we just blow right past that. And we think, okay, yeah, the message here, you know, Kevin, your message is that we need to pay more attention to children. We need to be more attentive. We need to kind of think about that space here today. And, and, and that's all very, very true. But the other thing that I want us to remember here is that there is something, there is something divine that is represented and is taking place when we have this attitude toward children. We're actually receiving Jesus and the Father when we welcome children. We're receiving Jesus and the Father when we welcome children. Now that's pretty significant. There aren't many places in the Bible where Jesus says that, where he says, you know what, you do this, I'll show up. It's presumed wherever two or more are gathered, right, the table, there's lots of different, but there aren't that many places where Jesus actually says that. You do this, I'll show up. And this is one of the very few places where he says, oh, and by the way, not just me, but the Father who sent me. He'll show up too. Think about that. Think about that. That's pretty incredible. Um, when Kathy, our beloved um, past children's pastor emeritus, uh, who we all know and love, uh, heard what the sermon topic was going to be today, she sent me an email and in her wonderful love of children, in which she models for all of us, she said this. She said, when learning to live lives of love like Jesus, it's so important to include the messy, noisy, sticky, running, bouncing little treasures that are entrusted to our care. Isn't that Kathy? You know, but it's beautiful, right? Think about I mean, are kids sticky? Sometimes, yeah. Anybody, we've had kids, you know what that's all about right? To include the messy, noisy, sticky, runny, bouncy little treasures that are entrusted to our care. I think there's a, a depth there of understanding, right? And, I, and, I'm, and I'm challenging us to kind of think a little bit about that because this business of welcoming children with this kind of welcome, right, is, is actually pretty challenging stuff and pretty deep stuff. And that's the very point that Jesus is trying to make. Jesus says that to welcome them like this is to welcome him and the Father. What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, David Fitch has written a book called Faithful Presence, which um, uh, I read a couple of years ago. And it was, it was one of those books that kind of you know, gives, gave, gave me some new insights in terms of what, what we're doing and, and what ministry looks like and what, what it looks like for us to proclaim the kingdom of God. Because it's not just something we do with our lips. It's something that we embody. It's something that we do together by our very presence and his book, Faithful Presence, is, is all about that. He's talking about how we, as the people of God, we, we embody God's faithful presence in the world. And that everywhere we go, especially when we go together, we open up spaces, we create spaces for the kingdom of God to be manifest. What does he mean by that? For the kingdom of God to be perceivable, for it to be observable, for it to be something that people who are on the outside look at and say, wow, what was that? You know, that's what we did last Sunday. That's what we did last Sunday. We went outside into our parking lot prayerfully to open up a space where the kingdom of God could be manifest to those who came. It could be experienced. It could be said. They may have no idea what it was. They couldn't explain it. They couldn't say what we were doing or what it was all about. But that's what we were doing and that's what it was all about. And they were able to experience that. But when you create a space for the kingdom of God to become manifest, the Holy Spirit is moving and he's working in both seen and unseen ways. 
And that's what he's saying in the book. He's saying that, that we need to be aware of that and realize that when we do things and when we move into spaces, especially when we do it together, we're actually opening up a space where the kingdom can be perceived and the Holy Spirit can work. And it's our privilege to do that. Whether we do that in our homes, whether we do that in our neighborhoods, whether we do that in our workplaces, whether we do that here, or whether we do it outside. As the people of God, as the church of God, we are always the church of God, and we are always, always on duty for representing and manifesting the proof of the kingdom of God everywhere that we go. And what he's saying, Fitch in his book, he names several places where Jesus said, when you do this, I'll show up. Guaranteed promises. We have certain places that we know for a fact that when we do this, when two of us gather together, two or more of us gather together in his name, he will be in our midst. Guaranteed. Because he promises that. He says he will. One of those areas is when we spend time with children. One of those guaranteed times is when we spend time with children. Here's what he writes in his book. The stunning reality is that being with children is an encounter with the living Christ. Just as our gathering around the table, so likewise we, are, we gather around children. We set aside our striving. We quiet our need for control. We enter their space and open up to their presence. That, sorry, that's a wrong trans or word auto-corrected there. Uh, and open up to their presence. In so doing, a space is opened up and Jesus becomes present and begins to work. As a result, a space is opened up for his kingdom just by being with children. Just by being with children. That's what, that's what Jesus, when you welcome one of these little children, you welcome me, you welcome the one who sent me. We will be there, we are present with you in your interaction with children. If you want to be 100% sure that you are in the presence of Jesus when you come to church on Forestbrook, at Forestbrook on any given Sunday morning and you're not sure about me, go downstairs. Go downstairs. I guarantee you on biblical authority that if you go downstairs and you worship with the kids downstairs, you are in the presence of Jesus and the Father. So if you're unsure about me, go down there. To welcome children, right? To welcome children like that. As we live our lives together as the church of Jesus, we create spaces where the kingdom of God can become manifest to believers and even to unbelievers. And one of the ways that we do this is when we spend time with children. See, what we're up against is a culture of distraction. Even in the church, what we want, you know, children are a distraction to us, and so we want to remove them so that we can do what we want to do without distraction, and what Fitch is saying in his book, when we do that, we're actually losing something. We're losing something. We're losing the presence of Jesus with children. The more we can do with children, the more that we do in the presence of children, the more that we do with children, the more we are going to experience the presence of Jesus and the Father. That's the word. And so for you and I, as a, I'm talking to us as a church, as a culture, Will we be willing to do more with children up here on a Sunday morning during your time? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. But I know that we want to move into that direction.
because I believe what God's word says. Why do we want to do camp for six weeks instead of one? Because it gives the Holy Spirit more opportunities to work in the lives of the kids who come and in more homes and in more from our community. We're creating more opportunity. We're creating more space for the kingdom of God to be manifest in the summertime and for more people to be reached through the presence of the Holy Spirit at our camp. That's why we're doing that. As I said, I don't know what that's going to look like, but that's the path that we're trying to follow. Here's another well-known passage um, that Jesus has something to say about children, and you'll know this one as well. From this is where we get our tradition of blessing little children uh, in our congregation. Matthew 19, 13, 15 says this, When little children were brought to him in order that he might lay hands on them and pray, the disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them and went on his way. Very familiar passage. You know, we understand that. We get that. The disciples were trying to block the little children from coming. You know, the parents were trying to bring them for blessing. The disciples were blocking that. Jesus said, no, let them come. He blessed them, took them up in his arms, all that kind of stuff. We, we practice that. We believe in that. You know, there aren't that many places in the New Testament where it talks about Jesus getting angry. But if you read this account in Mark's gospel, it's one of them. When the disciples blocked the parents and their children from Jesus, it said that Jesus became indignant. He became indignant that they were putting a roadblock between him and those families that were trying to come to him. I was so thrilled last Sunday to see so many little kids running around our parking lot. Thank you to the parking attendants who kept us safe. But to have so many little kids, to have so many young families bringing their kids here, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Of such is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is for children and those who are such as these, he says. As you know, most commentaries kind of take the high view of this and say, you know, really what Jesus, the real lesson is not necessarily about specific children or children's ministry or welcoming kids. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of the object lesson, but the real lesson is that we as followers of Jesus, right, should not be lording it over people or kind of setting ourselves up as authorities, and we should be willing to serve the least of these. So you can read pretty much any commentary, and they're going to kind of take that tack on it. So let's do that for a second. Let's set aside the individual child and all the children and let's talk for just a second about the the broader application of this that Jesus was saying with the little children. He said, no, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those like this. What's he mean by that? That it's just for children? No. Expositors, uh, Greek New Testament commentary says that it is a call for the disciples to esteem as fellow disciples all those who are seemingly insignificant. It is a call for the disciples of Jesus to esteem as fellow disciples all of those who are seemingly insignificant. He's speaking out against their prejudices. For one thing, for children, children were of no consequence in that generation, as as were women. Right? 
And so the disciples, they, had, they really had no time for these children. Jesus was too important. So they were keeping the families and the children from Jesus. And Jesus became indignant and said, no, 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 no. That's not what my kingdom is like. My kingdom, in my kingdom, we don't do that. My kingdom is for people just like this. Just like this child and people just like this child. The seemingly insignificant the ones who seemingly, from a, from, from a kind of a, a, you know, a, a mature disciple's point of view kind of thing, don't really matter. They're not as important. They don't count as much. What are our prejudices as followers of Jesus? Who are those that we put roadblocks in front of rather than welcome and rather than receive? How do we welcome those who are such as these? Do we take them by the hand? Do we grant them access? Do we receive them into our families? Do we approve of them? Do we embrace them, sustain them? Are we willing to learn from them? Is there anyone out there that we're not willing to welcome like Jesus? Who are these others? Who else are the ones who are such as these? Who else is disadvantaged devalued and marginalized in our society. Those with physical ability challenges? I'm, I'm going to lay my, I'll lay my heart, I, I'll, lay my, I'll lay my prejudices out here right now. I am irritated that we don't have our cafe out there because Mark is making the handicap washroom larger. And it's taking him time to finish the handicap washroom to make it more accessible and more functional and a better accommodation for people who need it at the expense of the cafe that I want so badly. Yay, Mark. <laughs> I'm wrong. He's right. But that didn't come naturally to me, right? It didn't, my, my natural instinct wasn't, wasn't to, to do that, to look after those who had that physical need. But it's Jesus. It's Jesus' impulse. It's Jesus' love. To say the kingdom of heaven is for such of these. Don't put any roadblocks in front of them. We have to go even further than that to make this place accessible to those who need, who need accessibility. That's going to cost us it's going to take time, and you and I are going to have to grapple with it. But if we want to love like Jesus, we'll do that. We'll do that. What about those with mental illnesses? What about those that have mental illnesses? Now, there are some mental illnesses that we're okay with. We can cope with people who have depression. I hope, I hope you hear me. I'm, I am speaking as an absolute fool right now. I'm kind of putting on the cloak of, of you know, uh, uh, the great kind of, you know, follower of Jesus, church person. I don't know. And maybe this isn't you, and I hope it isn't you. And I hope you realize it isn't all me either. I'm just putting on a bit of a caricature. I'm not that much of a jerk. I, I have, Bill, I have some jerkiness in me. I know that. But still... My point is, we don't, we don't look at people 
the way Jesus looks at them. And that's what this is about. Are we willing to? Will we, will we change our hearts and our minds and look at those who are the least of these the way Jesus would rather than the way we might naturally do through our, our prejudices and presuppositions and our own narrow-mindedness? That's my question. Because there are some mental illnesses which do freak us out and do make us uncomfortable. And do those people have a place here? Would we welcome them here? What about those who are economically poor? Those who have less than us? Those who ask us for help? Those who ask us to meet their needs? And then come back and ask us again and again and again and again and again. What about them? Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. One of the most important things that I learned in my ministry was when I was in Calgary, or in, sorry, in Vancouver, we went and we visited a, a shelter in downtown where they served the poor and, and people who needed, needed all kinds of help. And, and the guy who ran that shelter, he said something really profound. He said, he said when, you, when you give something to someone who is, is needy and they come back and ask you for help again, realize that's a compliment because they believe you're a safe person. They believe you're a safe person. A long time ago, I, I resolved that I would never pass someone begging on the street without giving them something. That is so minimalistic, so minimalistic. But I stopped the judging, I stopped the excusing, I stopped, and I said, no, I will never pass a person who's asking for money on the street and not give them something, because I have it to give. What about those who are alone and without family? What about those who are all by themselves? Those who come to our church, right, who are all by themselves and, and don't have any family or, or anybody. Do we welcome them with the kind of welcome that we've been talking about? What about those who identify as LGBTQ? Would we welcome them? Would we receive them? Would we welcome them with the same kind of welcome that Jesus said to welcome a child and those such as these because the kingdom of heaven is for such as these? What about newcomers to Canada? What about refugees? What about those who are a different race from us? Those who are from another culture? Those who like different songs or different foods? What about those struggling with addictions? Those who are struggling with debilitating habits? Do we begin to get the idea that there is a whole world out there of others such as these that Jesus says love? Not just children, but certainly don't exclude them. But everyone such as these. It's huge. It's huge. It's challenging. Isn't Jesus saying here that the kingdom of God is for such as these? We are not to prevent them from coming to Jesus. Or we'll make them mad at us. You know, Forest Brook has a reputation for being a welcoming church. But we often hear people say that after they've been here for a while, they find it hard to find community here. They find it hard to fit in, to be grafted in, to be, to be fully assimilated in our body. That's a challenge for us. 
We want to go beyond a mere welcome, an early welcome, an initial welcome. We want to grow to be a people who welcome just like Jesus said to welcome. And not just people like us or people that we like, but all of those he brings to us. One of my heart's desires is that one day we will be a place where we can say to all of those in our congregation who have children and grandchildren and family members who identify as LGBTQ, that you could invite them to our Alpha. That we could create a safe place in our Alpha where they could explore Jesus and learn about Jesus without fear of being judged by the body of Christ. On earth, Bill. It doesn't have to wait till then. I want to end by reading Luke chapter 14. If the worship team can come back up. I've kind of gone past my time here a little bit, but I just want to end with this. I heard a little bit of this, you know, just in my head as we were going about yesterday. And I want us to be reminded that this beautiful blessing that we have that is Forest Brook, this beautiful blessing that we have that is the church, that is the body of Christ, that it is to follow Jesus, you know, it's, it's ours to enjoy and to receive fully, but it's not ours to hold on to and grasp and not be willing to share. We must be open-handed with grace. We must be open-handed with all that God has given us. This is the parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the person who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Heaven, Bill. I love Jesus' reply. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. The kingdom is now. Come and enjoy it now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, oh, I've, got a, I've just bought a field. I need to go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets of the alleys of the town and bring in who? The poor. Those with disability challenges. Those, those with visual challenges. And those with walking challenges. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those invited will get the taste of my banquet. My point here is that he says, go out. Open up the invitation. And when all the fine people like you and me don't want to come in, who do we go and find? Those who are seemingly insignificant because they are not that to God. And so I end with this. If there is anyone here today who I have ever made feel insignificant or we in this church have ever made feel insignificant, I apologize. I ask for your forgiveness. 
I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive us. We will try to do better with God's help. There is no one insignificant to Jesus. And I promise you, there is no one insignificant to Forest Brook. Amen.